Shining a light on Illinois state government. Good day, good day, good morning, good morning. This is your host, Trent Nelson, and we are, of course, here. This is Full Disclosure with the Better Government Association. And as your host, Trent Nelson, it is my pleasure to introduce, as always, the president and CEO of the Better Government Association. His name is David Greising. How are you today, sir? Good, Trent. I hope you're well. Oh, every day is a good day until you let somebody get you down. But we're not letting anyone get us down today, sir. We have a good amount to get to, and so we'll jump into it real quick. What can you tell us, sir, about the state election board and Donald J. Trump? What can you tell us about some of the protestations concerning who will be allowed to be voted for in the coming primary election, sir? Well, a hearing officer for the State Board of Elections has commented on a lawsuit that has been brought in an effort to get Donald Trump off of the March primary ballot and stated that really this is a decision for the courts and not one for the State Board of Elections, while at the same time, this person stated that Donald Trump, in his view, in the view of Clark Erickson, the hearing officer, a former Republican Kankakee County judge, he stated that Donald Trump, in Mr. Erickson's view, did in fact engage in an insurrection and likely should not be eligible for the March ballot, but nevertheless stated that's really not a matter for the Board of Elections to decide, but a matter for the courts to decide. Fascinating innovation recently. Of course. But we will continue to watch what happens concerning that. And we are watching the continued implementation of Illinois Safety Act. And what can you tell us about an interesting innovation as it concerns incarcerated defendants who think that they maybe got a raw deal? Well, it's hardly a surprise given the importance of this law. This is really the law that sought to do away with bail in most instances and gives judges the right to hold defendants pending trial in general, mainly only if they represent a danger to the community under a number of narrowly defined but clearly defined instances. And what we're now seeing is a a significant increase in the number of appeals from September 18th when the law took effect last year Through the end of 2023, there were more than 1,300 pre-trial appeals of detention decisions filed with five state appellate districts. That is the number that comes on top of the normal caseload. And this speaks to both the complexity of the law and the fact that it is such a significant change from past practice where really the expectation was many defendants would be held in jail pending trial, and uh, the Safety Act uh, did away with that expectation. And, of course, as legislation becomes law, as those laws become actively utilized and and formulated for the society, we see, again, I use this term, it's a 
wonderfully flexible term. We see innovations that we may have expected, those we may not have expected. And of course, there are always going to be people who think that maybe if they had gotten arrested a little bit later, things would be a little bit different right now. Sir, before we take our commercial break. Hey, Trent. Yes. Trent, I, I think there might be something of interest in kind of the geographic origin of these appeals, what we're seeing is downstate, and let's not forget that state attorneys across the state, many of them, and especially downstate, joined a lawsuit to contest the, the legality of the Safety Act. Of and course. Ultimately, the courts ruled in favor of the constitutionality of the law. We're seeing the preponderance of these appeals are coming from the downstate districts, 438 in the district that includes Peoria and Rockford, 394 from the district that includes Champaign-Urbana and Southern Illinois, whereas Cook County is the origin point of only 161 of these appeals. So there seems to be a big difference in, depending on where you live, kind of where you stand on this issue. That is an absolutely remarkably interesting observation. We could draw conclusions as to perhaps why this is, but we will leave that to the brilliant mind such as yourself. Thank you. Thank you for that, as always, President Greising. But before we get to our commercial break, we need to speak also concerning the State Board of Education and some funding that they're seeking. What can you tell us about the money that is being requested for what we might call newcomers? Well, that's in fact what the State Board of Education calls people. Newcomers are people who have not previously been in the district who have a very short time of residence in the state of Illinois. And the money that they're requesting for the coming budget, $35 million, would be made available for expenses like hiring bilingual teachers and paraprofessionals, buying materials for students that are written in languages other than English, providing before and after school programs, providing other supports for children and their families. And so this is clearly a response to the surge that we've seen in immigrants, especially asylum seekers who have come to Chicago and have now, in some cases, settled in other parts of Illinois. And uh, it just is another example of the unexpected cost of the migrant challenge that the state of Illinois is dealing with. We talk about it all the time. You and I have spoken about it on previous programs, The what I always refer to as these sort of micro-functions, these, the functions which uh, make up the larger idea of having somebody live in a place. We, certainly we need to educate them. Certainly that costs money. Certainly they need to have food. Certainly they need all these things that perhaps we don't think about when we say, well... Not a big deal to go pick up and move someplace. It is a big deal not only for the individual, for their family, but also for the community in so many ways that they are going to. Sir, will you hang out with us for a hot moment as we take a commercial break before we get back to a whole bunch of other remarkable topics such as what's going on with Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson and the governor of Illinois, as well as a little bit about fish and Northwestern University. Are you game, sir? We're game. Let's uh, let's do that. Excellent. Full disclosure here with the Better Government Association. This is your host, Trent Nelson, and we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll catch you in just a hot second. Shining a light on 
Illinois state government. This is, of course, full disclosure with the Better Government Association. And this is your host, Trent Nelson. We had a wonderful discussion thus far with the president and CEO of the Better Government Association, David Grison, concerning the election board for Illinois, uh, talking about uh, the former president's eligibility to be on the Illinois March 30 primary ballot. We spoke about uh, appeals concerning uh, pre-trial detention, which, of course, has much to do with the new Safety Act implementation. And President Grison gave us some wonderful insight as to the geographical anomalies which one might draw conclusions from as it concerns who's locked up and and where they're locked up in. We also spoke about the State Board of Education seeking some 35 millions of dollars for what they call newcomers. We might call them new neighbors in the state of Illinois. But, sir, we've got to keep it boogieing, keep it moving. We speak about Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson as it relates to migrants and immigrants and the migrant shelter, which Governor Pritzker had to put the kibosh on. As we noted, it was, if I remember properly, to be built on an area where smelting had previously been undertaken, which had led to some chemical pollution which is, of course, inappropriate for anyone to stay with. What can you tell us about the migrant shelter situation in Chicago? Well, the city of Chicago's inability to come up with alternatives to that large encampment that you just mentioned has led to continued stress between the city and the state, not to mention uh, the, the families, the people and families who have migrated up uh, from the Texas border have been put on buses and mainly, and and shipped up here, not to mention the communities that have received them. Mainly, they're still staying in police stations and some out at O'Hare Airport, although a few uh, temporary facilities have cropped up. What we're seeing now is that Mayor Johnson last week kind of tried to shift responsibility for housing these people and said, you know, we tried this one spot. It didn't work out. And we're waiting for the state to come up with alternatives. And Governor Pritzker immediately responded and said, well, wait a minute. I mean, we've already invested a significant amount of money in Chicago in order to prepare this. We've not been asked for alternative sites until now. And we've got more money available for Chicago, which seems the logical place. And so it appears that the inability to communicate between these two top officials persist. Meanwhile, everybody is watching to see whether Mayor Johnson extends the 60-day limit he first put on the time any one person could remain in a temporary shelter that is supported by the city. We're waiting. I think there's a February 1st deadline when we expect to hear from him for that. But it just shows that even though this problem first arose back in August of 2022, before anybody really had heard of then Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson, or before, well before he announced for mayor, the mayor of Chicago continues to have problems in addressing this issue. And Governor Pritzker, it seems, is doing what he can, but only within reason. And I think he feels that having the blame for the lack of answers so far shifted to him at the last minute is something he's not going to stand for. Well, certainly, and it seems a bit disingenuous. One cannot properly fathom uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams saying to Governor Katie Hockle that the state should choose the city's best 
options before the city gives those as potentials. It would seem that the order of operations, as the governor is respecting, is that the city gives the state government a list of places that might be reasonable and the government functions alongside the city government and and decides which one is functional. And uh, what can you do other than chat about the logical obsequities of the circumstance? We will catch that Next week, I'm sure, as there seems to be a new innovations each few days, which we're always grateful to have updates concerning from our lovely friend and president and CEO of the Better Government Association, David Greising. But David, we've been talking a lot about the blame game between Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson and the Illinois state governor, J.P. Pritzker. And some might say that it sounds a bit fishy, but... Surely not as fishy as as the battle to keep Asian carp out of Lake Michigan. What can you tell us about that? Well, you know, years and years after this problem first emerged, we still don't have a really good plan longer term for keeping the Asian carp, which marketeers in northern Illinois have now tried to rebrand as the Kopi. The Army Corps of Engineers is planning to build a $1.4 billion high-tech suite of barricades in the Joliet area to protect Lake Michigan from these carp. And it's thought that the Lake Michigan fishing, recreational and commercial fishing industry accounts for about $7 billion of economic value in any year. I'm sorry, that's not just Lake Michigan, but the Great Lakes, broadly speaking. And if this very invasive dominant species were ever to get into those Great Lakes, it would really destroy large measures of that natural resource. And so even though we've known about this threat for a number of years, and there have been instances of these carp getting closer and closer to Lake Michigan while never yet making it through the electric barrier that's crossed the river now, um, we're waiting to see if, in fact, the Army Corps can get all the permitting it needs and the funding for this $1.4 billion barrier that would include a variety of tools, both electric shocks, as well as bubbles, as well as audio and visual (laughs) hindrances to the carp desire to continue to travel upstream. The carp are about 14, 15 miles still south of Lake Michigan, and, and it's it's hoped that they won't get any further before this barrier is built. Well, hope can only do so much for us. Uh, $1 billion would do a great deal more to prevent such an innovation than would hope, but we are certainly grateful that people are thinking about it because, again, as you noted, sir, invasive species, whether it be the kopi, which is delicious when eaten at the state fair or in other places such as Florida where they have a mass group of iguanas all around the state, we should probably learn to stop introducing things into our environments that are not made for them. That would be a good lesson that we should learn, should being the optimal word. And sir, we know that you're incredibly busy and we so appreciate that you spent some time with us chatting about all of these uh, varied and different topics. And before we go, we need to speak about, well, about Northwestern University. And it's not about football. It's not about any football-related investigation or activities. It is instead concerning how the university behaved and uh, looked to control 
speech in the aftermath of Israel's response to the October 7th attacks from Hamas. What can you tell us about that, sir? Well, there's a group based in Virginia called Campus Reform. It's a conservative they, conservative watchdog group that, by their own definition, exposes liberal bias and abuse on the nation's college campuses. And as part of a nationwide effort to track and, I guess, from their perspective, shame universities across the country over their handling of the contentious issue of Gaza in the aftermath of the October 7th terrorist attacks on Israel, they're finding anti-Semitic speech in a number of places. And Northwestern University is now one of the schools that has been accused of anti-Semitic behavior in their willingness to allow pro-Palestinian groups to demonstrate on campus and their unwillingness to crack down on that kind of free speech. Northwestern now is, due to the campus reform group having filed a complaint against the university, now more one of more than a dozen universities across the country that are dealing with Department of Education investigations into their handling of these problems. We've seen a crackdown on discourse at speech. We've seen presidents of Harvard and Penn um, lose their jobs over their inability to handle testimony in front of Congress, not to mention some other related issues, issues related to this very difficult college campus free speech issue. And so Northwestern now is answering questions from the Department of Education about the way it has handled this. Northwestern defends itself, says that it has put up a task force to try to figure out how to deal with these issues, has said that it is, has, I think, more than a thousand people who identify themselves as Jewish on board, you know, on campus, more than a thousand undergrads, I should say, and 1,200 undergrads, a thousand graduate students. So they're seeming to be responding, but nevertheless, there is a Department of Investigation, and um, we'll only find out over time whether, in fact, Northwestern has failed in some way to protect the free speech rights of students on both sides of this issue. Absolutely. And again, as you noted, sir, it's a nuanced discussion. Certainly, we cannot say that critiques of state governments, of different national governments, is always anti-Semitic, just as criticizing the Vatican does not make one anti-Catholic, yet surely there are circumstances that we've seen over the last several months where the free speech, which everyone desires, becomes hateful to varying degrees from various different sides. And so it will be interesting to see how this all shakes out and plays out. Certainly, one could not imagine a conservative group wanting to cancel someone. But anyway, so we will get to this discussion again another time. We know that you've got to run, we've got to boogie, and we hope that you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. Will you come back next week and chat with us more concerning all of the innovations taking place across Springfield, Central Illinois, as well as, of course, the whole state of Illinois? We'll see you next week, Trent. Thanks very much. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. But please, before you go, sir, let the people know where they can get more wonderful knowledge from the Better Government Association. Right. Our news content is on our news website, IllinoisAnswers.org. And our policy content, we our policy team fights for more transparent and accountable 
government in Illinois. That's on bettergov.org. You heard it here first, folks. You can get a lot of information when uh, Mr. David Greising of the Better Government Association is not chatting with me. You can get a lot of wonderful information when he is chatting with me. Sir, we'll catch you next week. Shining a light on Illinois state government, this is... Full disclosure with the Better Government Association. This is your host, Trent Nelson. We just enjoyed our wonderful discussion with the president and CEO of that institution, David Greising. And we look forward to another great one next week. We'll catch you real soon.